Hello and welcome back to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Gregor Robertson and it's been another hugely enjoyable day at the World Cup in Qatar. Joining me to review it all are Johnny Northcroft and Martin Hardy. Johnny, as tempted as I was to start with the Tartan Socceroos, whose gutsy win against Tunisia was inspired by the man mountain that is Harry Souter, I think we're going to have to pan out for a minute and recognise that today, three of the best players in the world all delivered for the countries when it mattered. Robert Lewandowski scored his first ever goal at a World Cup, aged 34, in Poland's 2-0 win against Saudi Arabia. Kylian Mbappe scored twice in France's 2-1 win against Denmark. And Lionel Messi, who looked like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders for the first hour against Mexico tonight, did what he has always done and provided a moment of inspiration when it really mattered. Johnny, this was a good day for the World Cup, right? It's fantastic. World Cups are about these stars and the thrill of seeing Messi um, winning a game the way he did, the thrill of watching Mbappe in the flesh and the thrill of seeing a great pro like Lewandowski, so emotional, but scoring his goal. Those were those are iconic World Cup sort of experiences and it was a day for the, for the, the, the superstars. Um, it was a day for, for, you know, iconic strikers and, um, I, I saw a bit of it with Mbappe and I'm really, you know, really pleased that that'll be part of my World Cup experience. Does it feel a little bit like, I don't know, I sat watching the Argentina game as well, thinking that it's not a case of a changing of the guard, but the kind of guard has already changed. It's like the baton's already been passed to Mbappe. He seems, he seems a step, a, a level above any other player on the planet right now. Yeah, I mean, actually, at the end of the 2018 World Cup, we were all writing about the baton and... and, and you know, it, this is Mbappe's time. And actually, we've seen Lewandowski click, hang in there as a top player. We've seen Messi and Ronaldo still go. So four years on, maybe it's not, you know, Mbappe's still in that company, but not quite above them. But I think the future really is his. The future's his in Haaland's, but he plays for a better team. And I think he's a better player. I think he can do what he likes with his, his career. Really, and I mean, he's 23. If if he could power France to another, um, another world title, then you're talking about a Pele, a Pele-like career, because only he's done a back-to-back thing like that at the same age. Okay, let's bring in Martin Hardy now, who was at the Argentina game. He witnessed firsthand Messi's moment of magic. What was the atmosphere like there tonight? The attendance has come through at 88,000. To compare it to ground, maybe it's a bit like Marseille, the way even a bit of Tottenham, the, the curves on the stadium, and you're looking. And you think, because everything's blue and white, but pockets are green that there's, what, 55, 60,000 Argentina fans in the stadium. The Argentina journalist I spoke to said that it's probably 25,000, but all the neutrals have been quite happy to buy a blue and white striped top with Messi on the back. Um, so the, and the, if you watch the, watch the goal carefully, the ball comes to him and he takes a touch and it doesn't sit. So I, I, I was about to count the bounces in one, two, three, four, maybe it's five. Despite the chaos, despite what happens to Argentinian football if they, if they don't win, Messi takes his time, simply drills the ball in the bottom left-hand corner and that's it, the ground just explodes. Blue and white scarves and flags everybody, where everybody jumping, the joy. Um, you know, Messi runs off with his hands outstretching his mouth open and uh, the, whole, the whole place just goes banana. So, yeah, uh, quite, 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 a, quite a day, quite a game, quite, quite a privilege to be here. An incredible occasion and when Fernandez scored the second goal, which is a, another fantastic goal, the first person to run and jump into his arms was Leo Messi. Messi and Argentina were pretty abject for an hour. Let's be honest about it. It was kind of you can't. You must have seen this coming. And I know it was a massive liftoff moment, and 
you know, this is what someone like Lionel Messi does. But for an hour, it looked like Argentina were, were, were heading, you know, perilously close to the exit. No, no, I, I, absolutely. And kind of, if Brian Clough spends four days um, playing squash and comes in on the Friday and gives a team total to Nottingham Forest players and they win the next day, then he's a genius. And if they don't, then he's a lazy manager. And by the same token, I was tracking Messi for the, I don't know, the 15 minutes before the goals. And it's like, right, I'm writing it down. Right, he's in the right back position. He's the only player on his own for within 10 yards. They look like they're over-reliant to the point that Mexico knows that whenever ever a blue and white shirt gets the ball, it's going to Messi. So he's trying harder and harder to make space. And therefore, he's drifting to positions where you're thinking, can you impact from there? So I need to see the goal again, but it looks like, as I said, with the amount of time he had to let the ball sit up perfectly so he could strike it, it seemed that five yards from the edge of the Mexico penalty area, he'd managed to find an awful lot of space. So, so that is the genius of him. Argentina were not playing well. Real desperation in the stands, desperation amongst the players. And yet somehow he's got the composure to go, right, if I keep finding pockets of space, eventually something will happen. So when the ball comes, he drills it, the mood changes. And do Argentina go on from here? Do they remember the fact that they were a team on a massive unbeaten run? Or was that just you know a, a moment of magic that masks the fragility of this team? I guess we'll wait and see. You always have to remember it's the group stage. It's a group stage. So, so much can change. It's like get out of the group and then you see what happens from there. Now they've got a pretty good chance. I'm just interested because you've, you've seen them in a high-stakes game like that come come through with a lot of emotion. But did you see enough to suggest that with that burden sort of removed with, with those three points on the board, a Messi in the tournament, that they might click? Was there enough in the rest of their play to suggest that they've got, they've got another gear or they could be less reliant on him going forward? Yeah, well, even in the first half against Saudi Arabia when they kept scoring goals that were offside, I was still kind of looking going, this doesn't look like the great team people have been talking about. They've obviously, they then get beat off Saudi Arabia in that dramatic second half. The first half today, they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders. That countdown clock's ticking in their heads for the for the duration of the second half until he scores. When he scores, the game gets a bit more stretched. Suddenly, Argentinian defenders making brave clearances and just booting the ball is greeted with huge cheers. They then find a bit of space for the second goal. They still didn't, didn't look like a team you think will go and win the competition, if that's what you're alluding to. You look and you think, how do they go that many games unbeaten? That's still my, that was my thought against Saudi Arabia, and that was my thought again tonight. The, the magic of Messi, as he kind of suggests, might just be a bit of masking tape over the over the big problem at the minute. You, you still look and you think, are, are the men still your set and a half? Um, is there enough besides Messi? You know, Martinez gets taken off to try and create something going forward. It's interesting now is what the next game, see, right, do you have the composure? Suddenly you've got three points, you can kick on and get through the next week. Whereas today, just, you could feel the pressure. Tony Martin mentioned there, I mean, Argentina were 35 games unbeaten <laughs> coming into this World Cup. And if we're being honest, they've shown very little to suggest that they're going to be a force in this. And what, they made, Lionel Scaloni made five changes as well this team, which is a big, you know, a big statement in your second game in the World Cup. What did you make of those changes and what Argentina can be moving forward from here? Yeah, I mean, a bit like Martin, I've been a bit shocked as to how similar Argentina have been so far to the Argentina of 2018 when San Paolo was in charge and it seemed a bit of a circus and again they were very reliant on Messi and again they, they were sort of masking a lot of weaknesses with with older players and, and a sort of dysfunctional team. And having looked at that 
unbeaten run and, and you know, looking at the quality of the Brazil team, which they managed to finish comfortably ahead of in the South American group, I, I, I expect more. And I believe that there has been a different Argentina over the last couple of years that's been more based on patterns of play and controlling games. And I don't know, is the South American Championship actually a level down at the moment? I mean, you look, you know, apart from Brazil and Argentina, the other teams don't seem to be so strong. So maybe that's a question. Maybe that's flattered them. Is there a psychology involved where they're so eager to win this World Cup that they've, they've forgotten some of their principles? I don't, I mean, it's a long wind away saying, I don't really know what to make them. And after those changes today, I'm not sure where they're going as a, as a team. Uh, and as Martin said, that you still see people like Otamendi in the side and Di Maria playing a part, and you wonder, is this a team that's still being selected in the past? So, a bit underwhelmed by them. What is interesting is that I did a brief check when I was in the Argentinian press conference before this game, and everything then from the manager and from Arturo Martinez was, we will break our backs, we will break our backs, we will break our backs. There's nothing on the technical element of the game, it was kind of, we need to find a way to come through. But as I, I briefly did a check, is it the last four World Cups have been won by European teams? And I think that the balance is something now like is it 11, 8, 11, 9 to European teams against South American teams. So you're looking at a big swing at the minute that Argentina and Brazil have to kind of come back from as to why is it the over-reliance on Messi? As Johnny said, was it the circus of 2018 when nobody really knew what was going on? They're not convincing at the minute. But then, as I've been saying to people over the last 24 hours, England in 96, this much-heralded run, we're not good against Scotland, we're not good against Switzerland, we're not good against Spain. And in 1990, we're not particularly great against Cameroon or Belgium. All of this can be forgotten as long as you squeeze through and maybe find a little bit of push and momentum in that last game. So, Mark, before you go, you you were at Poland, Saudi Arabia today, and we saw another star in Robert Lewandowski announced himself at this World Cup, finally scoring his first World Cup goal at the age of 34. He looked very emotional after that goal. What did you make of Poland's performance and, and that game in general? Saudi Arabia had 16 shots, had most possession, passed the ball, I think, two or 300 times more. Full of energy. But then but then you come down to that, what makes the great teams, what makes the great players. So then Lewandowski sets up a goal for Zielinski. So that's Barcelona to Napoli. Chesney makes a double brilliant, brilliant penalty save. The second save, I don't know if you've seen it in slow motion, to get the right, you know, the fingertip on his right hand on it. And that really energised the Poles. He plays for Juventus. Then Lewandowski finally scores his first World Cup goal for Poland. And he starts to cry on the pitch. And the quality of club player that had to beat the Saudis is perhaps the biggest compliment you can give them. Lewandowski said afterwards, why did I burst into tears? I couldn't control the emotion. This was everything from my childhood and if you think he scored 77 goals I think for Poland this could be his last World Cup too so from his head he's got potentially one game left to get that goal and it was interesting you watch them little moments at the finish of the game and the Polish coach and staff are just hugging him and he's hugging them back it's like a burden released off released off his career in terms of the game Paul stood up to a, you know, a lot of pressure at times Chesney makes the, the big penalty save after when the score the, the scores are 1-0 Poland have a little bit more freedom in the game and they hit the crossbar with a really driving header uh, and then Lewandowski clipped the post as well um, before he scored his goal. At the same time, Chesney makes another brilliant save at, at 1-0. What does the celebration show you? Does it show you just joy or does it show you the fact that the manager and the players were under a lot of pressure after the first game? But when they scored that second goal, every single Polish player went charging on the pitch. 
at about 60 mile an hour and ran into dives on top of Lewandowski. But as long as you have quality and, you know, you watch the Barcelona playing in the Champions League when they were about to go out and it was still him driving the team forward. And he thought he still has it. He still has the hunger, the desire. And that gives the Poles a chance just because he is that good. But they may count themselves slightly fortunate. You know, the second his goal comes from a mistake. The Saudis can count themselves a little bit unfortunate to leave uh, having lost 2-0. Saudi Arabia are remarkably aggressive on the front foot. And as you say, in that first half, when... When Poland took the lead, it was very much against the run of play, wasn't it? The question was put to Alshiri, who scored against Argentina. What were you going to do with your Rolls Royce? When did you collect it? And straight, very straight face, straight, particularly impressed, said, not true, not a story. That's not why we're here. And at that point, Renard came in and then give, spoke for a couple of minutes and said, it's, it's a bit disrespectful. We have to my staff, to my players, to the kit man, to the medical staff, to suggest that everything about our World Cup rested on that game against Argentina. He said, after as soon as the game finished, we went on our team coach, we drove an hour to our hotel, which is in the middle of nowhere. The players that had played either went to bed or got medical treatment. All the rest of the subjects then got put through a hard training session. And he said, we went back into our bubble. And it was kind of, that's why the, the way they played today didn't surprise me because having sat with them, we thought, he knows they've got a chance of going through here. You're not just going to live forever on the glory of the victory against Argentina. And he was also asked about the half-time team talk, which I don't know if you've seen, where he's full of aggression and say, what do you want to do here? Do you want to get a, do you want to get a selfie with Messi or do you want to mark them? So there is a, a real serious side, the Saudi Arabian team. Then you watch them play and then you watch them thinking, this is a home game for them. But the noise was amazing. Every time they attacked, the energy from the fans was relentless and it kind of fed into the team and it just rocked the poles back. And they didn't really know what to do for long, for long spells in that first half. It was just wave after wave of being played. Three players pushing for the ball. Penalty save, missed penalty, missed rebound. And a mistake at the death gives Poland the victory. Johnny, this, this group's wide open now. I mean, Poland, Poland are top on four points. Argentina and Saudi Arabia tied on three. And Mexico, although bottom on one, can still go through. I mean, well, how do you see this panning out? I mean, it's just the most insanely competitive group, that one. Uh, and, and something tells me that, that Mexico aren't out of it yet. I mean, they haven't they haven't played well, but they're just a team of grinders. Uh, I think Saudi Arabia, of course, with the ability to beat them, but they, they might just have had... We used up too much emotion in the first two games. I could see Mexico sort of sneaking through in that one. And then I'm just not sure about Argentina um, because Poland, with Lewandowski having, having taken that burden off his back, the good player that he is, Argentina being a little bit weak at the back. I could see that being another tight game and another game decided on something really, really small. So it's, it, it didn't look the most attractive for groups, Argentina aside, before the tournament, but I think it's going to have a, a really tense sort of final day. And um, yeah, fascinating to see which way it lands. A fascinating final day, absolutely. Let's turn our focus to, to Group D now. France 2, Denmark 1. Johnny, you were at this game. France were the first side to to book their place in the last 16. They're still the only side, in fact. And I suppose in the build-up to this game, all eyes were on Olivier Giroud, probably, in that he was you know, one goal away from, from moving clear of Thierry Henry's uh, all-time record of 51 goals for France. He didn't. They're still level in 51. And a 23-year-old Mbappe scored his 30th and 31st. It just made me think that if he does break this record, it's not going to last for very long, is it? It's not going to last very long at all. And 
I mean, you say all eyes are on Giroud, but when you watch France, your eyes are drawn to one person and one person only, and it is like watching Messi with Argentina, or it is like watching Haaland, the teams that he plays for. Mbappe's just magnetic, and is one of those players that you have to be in a stadium to appreciate just exactly how potent he is. He's got acceleration like no one else I've ever seen, Haaland included, and just a a sort of force of will that means he composes himself at different moments in games. His speed running with the ball is fantastic. His goals tonight were just different sides of his game, really, but he had the one where he breaks away with Hernandez on the left. He's a very good footballer in Mbappe too, and he played, measured his pass so well, but it's, it's a run that after he releases the ball, that's sensational. He just peels into the right space for the cutback and then finished it well. And then the second was just, that was force at will. That was a Haaland goal, actually. Just running into the right area of the box, wanting to get there first. And I think he finished it with his hip. I mean, I was trying to work out which body part he used to, to put it in, but I, it was that poacher's kind of thing where any bit of the body will do just to get it past the goalkeeper. He's so charismatic. It wasn't a 100% brilliant performance for him because he had his moments. He missed a chance in the first half and came in and out of it. But um, he looked really good overall tonight. And the other thing that really struck me was how well Antoine Griezmann's playing now. Didier Deschamps seems to have the key to Griezmann. Um, seems to be able to reawaken that that player that he was four or five years ago. And he Denmark couldn't handle him. He was just roaming between the lines. He um, occupied Christian Eriksen and Hoiberg for most of the game, which blunted Denmark's possession football. Uh, he looked really good as well. So I was overall pretty impressed with France. And you'd have to say, you know, we've been watching a few games that have been mismatches where... Teams have played well, like Spain or England against Iran, but you're not quite sure about the performance because of the opposition. But Denmark are a very, very, very good side and played well. And France had a bit too much for them. Just watching on the TV and seeing when he does that thing where he, he's like he's coming in on his right foot to cross it and he chops down the line and he's gone. And there's no one can stay with him. And it just kind of makes you think that with him in their team, France have absolutely got a chance of going all the way. It's visceral with him. It, it's that burst of acceleration that takes your breath away. It's a kind of speed that you usually see maybe in a small winger who's got the low centre gravity and might be very light on the feet and over five yards is really quick. Mbappe's got that five yards, but he's built like a sprinter and then he can keep the pace going and he can control the ball at that, that speed as well. As you say, he's got the chop inside. Uh, he can shoot off both feet. He's sensational. And then, you know, Facing France must be a nightmare because you've got Griezmann, who I spoke about, but Dembele's having a good tournament. His pace is sensational, and he's got tricks. And he can go on the outside a bit more than Mbappe. And then Giroud's very reliable in the middle. Chouameni had a, had a good game tonight as well. He's a very mature young player. And um, even even the subs were good. You know, Marcus Chiram came on and looked very difficult to handle. Kingsley Coman's a top-class player. He's only a sub for France. And... You were reminded of the, the depth of talent they've got yet again. Another thing that's impressed me about Usman Dembele, I know, yes, absolutely. France, the, the most important thing about France's play is how wide those two are and the pace they have. But he's been really disciplined defensively. They sometimes kind of almost sit back into a 4-4-2 and he's the right-hand side. And he's not someone you associate with being a disciplined kind of 
performer in the team. So that's been really impressive. You have to say, though, that they did wobble a little bit after Denmark equalised and created one or two other decent chances. So, I mean, what, where, where did Denmark go from here? Well, Denmark are an excellent side. I, I think, you know, they're a good enough side that they would have a period like that against anyone. They're maybe not quite at the level they were at the Euros, where I thought they were arguably the best team in the tournament, arguably, in pure footballing terms anyway. But they're not far off it. They have to go win the last game and they have to hope that France don't, France will rotate, but that France don't kind of over-rotate and, and somehow lose to Tunisia. But I think the way it stands, if Denmark can beat Australia, which I would fully expect them to do, they could go through in second. The only thing is they, lack, they do lack a quality striker. And tonight they tried Cornelius at the start. You know, he's a big lump. And then Braithwaite came on and... He sort of flatters to deceive a little bit and they ended up with Dolberg. And if they did have that striker, you know, if they could sign Erling Haaland in some Scandi swap, then they would be absolute World Cup contenders. Right, let's finally turn ourselves to the other game in, in Group D and one small kind of association Scotland has with uh, with this World Cup. I mean, it was a brilliant a brilliant uh, Mitchell Duke header that gave Australia their first World Cup win for 12 years. And he's a, he's a magnificent story. He grew up in Sydney, second youngest of nine children. And the story is that his father woke him every day at 5am to do 100 press-ups, 100 sit-ups and 100 chin-ups before school. And when he was in the Central Coast Mariners youth team, he was uh, a bag handler at the airport through the night. So he's had some journey to the World Cup and it was really touching to see him dedicate his, uh, his goal to his son Jackson in the stand afterwards. So that was, a, that was a great story, but this was a gutsy performance and also based on the foundation of one Harry Souter, Aberdeen-born, no less, Johnny. I know. Big rock of granite from, from, from my part of the world. I mean, doesn't necessarily look like an athlete, but he's at a solid tournament. You wouldn't have an enjoyable afternoon playing against them, I'd imagine. And um, I, I mean, it, it's just in Australia's DNA, isn't it? They they scrap, they they make the most of what they've got. I know from Australian friends that there's a bit of a sort of schism in Australian football between. I think Graham Arnold represents the old kind of British ideas that they, they the football was sort of based on a while ago, and then the Angera Postacoglu was took took Australia in a different direction. And now it's the old sort of style that's back in charge. But um, I actually think that in terms of ability, they've probably played more above themselves than anyone at this World Cup for them to have three points on the board and for them to have given France a little scare as well. It's just, you just got to take your hat off to Australian mentality and and guts, I suppose. You touched on uh, Graham Arnold there. There was two things that stood out for me in that, I read before the tournament that Harry Souter had been, he's hes only played one full game before the World Cup because he's been out with an ACL. But he kept going over to, to camps. He was invited to camps, travelling long distances from Stoke-on-Trent to join up because he's a big part of their squad. And the same thing was true with, with Boyle, the hip striker who's just injured his knee before the World Cup. And you saw him on his crutches in the middle of the huddle at, at the end, celebrating with the with Arnold, had his arm, arm around his shoulder. There's clearly a real a real kind of bond and, and strong team spirit in that in that camp. Yeah, they've got that sort of club thing going on and you know that is that is intelligent management because for them to have any chance they've got to make the most of, of stuff like that. They're not going to be beating teams on ability. But you know we've been talking about tight games, we've been talking about groups that are difficult to call and 
you know, apart from those two or three really top teams, I think this is a World Cup where fitness, a bit of organisation and, and taking your chances at the right time can get you somewhere. As I say, for them to have three points on the board is, is slightly slightly mind-boggling, really. Denmark versus Australia looks like it's likely to be the, the shootout for second place. Tunisia can still go through, but they would... You know they need a favour as well, and they need a miracle to beat France. So who do you who do you see getting second second place? Do you think Denmark will pit them? I've got faith in Denmark. I think they will be the the the, the last team that Australia will actually want to face because Denmark keep the ball very well. They stretch the pitch a lot. They are you know they're a team that controls the game, and I think they might just you know make make Australia run around a little bit too much for their own comfort even with a great effort. But as I say, the fact that Denmark don't have a reliable source of goals does open the door for them to get pit by a set piece or something like that. So I'd expect Denmark to win, but it's not a, it's by no means a given. It's going to be another one that's going to be a fascinating final day. As, as I said, France still the only team who've sealed their place in the last 16. Look, Johnny, just before we, uh, before we wrap up, just wanted to get your reaction to the recent England and Wales performances. What did you make of England, first of all? And it felt like a little bit of a step backwards after the after the 61 in the opening game. Yeah, it did. I mean, I've written about this in the paper, but um, there was a, an almost baffling contrast between England's performance against Iran and the performance against USA. It struck me that right from the start of that game against America, England, England had slipped into... This kind of very passive way of playing that I've seen from them sometimes, where they're overthinking it, they're a bit worried, over worried about the opposition or, or about the stakes. And the football gets slow, the football gets safe. I think in the first couple of minutes, Maguire and Stones were passing the ball square repeatedly. And England are that team that they can, once they get into a rut, I think this has been one of the stories under Gareth that one of the flaws that they can find it hard to change gear and, and rouse themselves and get back get back out of it. And that, that just seemed to be the story of the game, that they they got into the wrong mode, they got into a passive way of playing, and they, they couldn't really do anything about it. Now, I think we'd be over... I think, they, you know, the boos at the end were ridiculous. I think we'd be overreacting to say that, you know, this means they're doomed again. I mean, they were brilliant against Iran, and you'd have to hope that, USA was a blip, and USA played well, of course. They, they're not an easy team to play against because of their energy. Um, but I am left just thinking that a lot of England's fate is going to rest on the positivity of their approach. And that's not just about Gareth Southgate, because I know he gets criticised for being you know, the handbrake manager and all that sort of stuff. I listen to him a lot, and he, he talks about playing with pace, he tries to encourage the sort of rotations that we saw against Iran. I don't think he wants England to be playing the type of safety-first football we saw against the USA. I think the players have got to take responsibility too. And another thing I wrote about is it just strikes me watching England that they've got a few club captains in the team, but they don't have very many vocal players. They don't have many players that will take charge on the pitch and change things. And against America, yet again, he resorted to sending Jordan Henderson on. And Henderson comes on in these games because he's more or less England's only player that will actually grab everyone else 
by the scruff of the neck and, and, and try and change things. So there's a few there's a few flaws there. Um, they should get through against Wales, but it was uh, it was certainly a real balloon popper after that uh, after the balloon got filled with hype following the Iran game. Quickly on Wales, I mean we had a bit of a heated discussion last night about uh, some people are now saying that Gareth Bale and and uh, Aaron Ramsey should be left out of the start eleven altogether because they did so little. I mean, what's your view about where where Wales go from here? It does feel like they're drawn to a close in that chapter, but there could still be one more kind of, I don't know, sting in the tail from these guys. I don't think so. I think their race has run. By the way, I wouldn't drop them. I certainly wouldn't drop Gareth Bale. I mean, Ramsey's been clinging on. Bale's still producing in moments, although he didn't have a great game, of course, against Iran. But Wales do just look like they've been getting by for quite a while uh, on those moments of inspiration. And sooner or later, that runs out for a team. I can't see them. I can't see them troubling England. I might be wrong. They just haven't shown enough at all in this tournament. They should have. They should have lost the USA. USA will be kicking themselves that they're not already through in this group. So I think Tuesday's game is going to be an emotional one for the likes of Gareth Bale. A bit of a send off, and it'll be a great spectacle with the Welsh fans who are absolutely magnificent. But I think it will end in an early exit and a plane home. Okay, thanks to Johnny and Mark for joining me from Qatar. I'll be back tomorrow alongside Tom Clark and Hugh Wisencroft to review all the latest action, including the huge clash between Spain and Germany in Group E. Join us then.